this morning, as I mentioned uh, the last few weeks, that we're going to begin a series of revival sermons for the next uh, four Sundays. Uh, and today we're looking at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah is one of uh, my favorite Old Testament books, favorite books in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 6 is one of my favorite passages, and I think it speaks to the need of revival. And so I've simply titled the message this morning, When Will Revival Come? I think it's important today that as we begin to think about revival, and I hope you've been praying about revival and seeking revival in your own heart and in your own life, you see it has to begin with us as individuals, right? It has to begin with me and then to you and then uh, throughout the congregation. That's the way revival starts. We used to sing a song when I was a teenager a couple of years ago. Anyway, um, they said it only takes a spark to get a fire going, right? And that's what it takes to get a revival going is just a little spark. One person getting excited about what God is doing in their life and what God wants to do in the life of others and getting on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, then revival can begin. Amen? Revival simply means new life, to be re-lifed. And I think we need to be re-lifed today in the church of God. Amen? Amen. Uh, Revival, in my opinion, I say this every time, I've done several revivals throughout the years uh, in um, uh, three or four different states around uh, the U.S., um, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, different places, uh, preaching revivals. And I always say this, that revival is for the church. If we're going to be re-life, that implies that we had life to begin with, right? And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in our sins until we are born again. Then we have that life. But there are times in that spiritual life when we're not as excited about the things of God as we once were, right? And so we need to be re-lifed and renewed. And I'm not talking about being reborn. We've already been born again, right? We just need to be re-lifed, renewed, refreshed in the things that God has for us. The secret of failure is that we see men rather than God. Jonathan Edwards um, saw God, and he preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And when he preached that sermon, Jonathan Edwards and Miss Deborah can tell you more about him than I can because she teaches on Jonathan Edwards in one of her courses Jonathan Edwards was a man of short stature. Jonathan Edwards was a man that was nearly blind. He wore real thick glasses. And what I have studied about Jonathan Edwards is when he preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he was down behind the pulpit, stooped over with his face in his notes, reading his manuscript word for word. And while he was reading that manuscript, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, People were falling out in the aisles. People were coming to the altar, crying out, wailing and weeping and broken over their sin. And that launched a great spiritual awakening in the United States, in America. And we need that great spiritual awakening today. Multitudes were saved at the preaching of George Whitfield. George Whitfield saw God. And he knew God in a personal way, and he preached with power, and he preached with passion, and multitudes of people got saved under the ministry of George Whitfield. I said revival is for the church. When the church gets serious about doing what God has called them to do, and gets serious about being what God has called them to be, you know what it's going to do? It's going to affect lost people. Because lost people are going to see the excitement and the enthusiasm that the church has for the things of God. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to get curious. And they're going to want to come see. And they're going to see something different in your life, in your attitude and in your actions. And they're going to see that difference. And you know what they're going to say? What's wrong with you? What's going on with you? Why can you smile through all of these things? And you know what that does? Opens the door to share the gospel. So revival is for the church to be revived and to be renewed and to be about the business that God has called us to do and to be what God has called us to be. Then it spreads out into the community and lost people get saved. Amen? That to me is what revival is all about. 
So I think it is time that you and I get a new vision for God. We get a new vision for what God has for us here at Hevesabah Baptist Church. You see, we've uh, been here, what, five and a half years now, and things have been great. And I'm not saying let's change that. Don't, don't take that the wrong way. But what I am saying is sometimes we can just get to going through the motions. And when I say we, I'm talking about me. Okay? We just get to going through the motions. And this pandemic that has really hindered the ministry, if you will, it's caused us to rethink some things and the way we do some things, right? Uh, I think we need to get a new vision of what God has for us. And I'm not saying we're going to overthrow the apple cart and start over and just change everything and do all kinds of different stuff. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is we need to see God. And we need to see Him high and lifted up. And if there are things that need to be changed, then pray that He directs us that we change them in the way that He wants them changed. Amen? If not, let's pray that He continues to bless the things that we're doing. That it might bring glory and honor to His name. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, I see three keys for revival today. Three keys to revival. Now, it says here in verse 1 that in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah is also known as Azariah. Uh, he ruled from 792 to 740 B.C. He was 16 years old when he took the throne of Judah. And he was a king that was a righteous king. And, and the time of his reign was one of the most prosperous and peaceful times in the history of, of the people of Judah. And God really blessed that. If you look in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, I just want to share a few uh, highlights from these first uh, 10 or 11 verses here that speak to um, the reign of um, Azariah as he's known. He's known as Uzziah here. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 15, he is called Azariah, or 2 Kings chapter 15, he is called Azariah. It's the same, uh, same person, but I just want to hit a few highlights here from 2 Chronicles because it really speaks uh, to his ministry. It says in verse 3 of 2 Chronicles 26 that 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign. He reigned 50 and two years. So he reigned from 792 to 740 B.C., as I said. Uh, verse 4, look at this. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Why did God bless the ministry of Uzziah? He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. If you read the Kings and you read the Chronicles, you'll see this recurring phrase that such and such a king followed the way of Jeroboam. Jeroboam is a symbol of, of wickedness and evil and sinfulness uh, there. But every now and then you'll read about one that says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And when you read about the king that was right in the sight of the Lord and doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, you know what you find? You find that God is blessing his people. Why are we in such turmoil today in this country? Because this country has turned one, and I'm speaking in general terms now, not you know, just throwing a blanket over everybody, but in general terms for our nation, we have turned 180 degrees away from God. And if you want to be depressed, watch about 30 seconds of the news. And you will see that. You will see that. But here's the key. Uzziah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 5, he sought God. Look at the end of verse 5. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him or caused him to prosper. How interesting is that? As long as he's doing what God has called him to do and he's seeking God and he's walking with God and he's doing what God has called him to do, God is blessing him and God is using him. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines. Verse 9, Uzziah built towers. He fortified them. These were for the protection of the people. Watch out towers. Look out towers there. Verse 10, he dug many wells. Verse 11, he had a host of fighting men. He had many cattle, as it tells us in verse 10. Uh, and he dug many wells. And if you just go on and read all of that, you will see how God blessed Uzziah. And so he was a popular king, a well-known 
king. And Isaiah begins this sixth chapter. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, which would have been 740 B.C. Why is that significant? Because in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came in and attacked Judah and, and destroyed or attacked Israel and destroyed Israel uh, and led them off into captivity 18 years after Isaiah is writing this message. If you read the book of Isaiah, you read the book of Hosea, you read the book of uh, Amos, and you read the book of Micah, you will find that these four prophets are known as the four great 8th century B.C. prophets, and they're all prophesying about the same time, and they're prophesying to the people of God to get right with God because God's judgment is coming. And in just a few short years after each one of them uh, gave their prophetic message, guess what happened? Judgment came. You know why? Because the people did not repent and return to God. The people in Judah and the people in Israel were doing the same things that we see taking place in America today. Uh, although, you know, the text here is not written to America. But it applies to America, doesn't it? Isn't that fascinating about the Word of God? How this Word was written centuries ago, hundreds of years ago, and you know what? It is still applicable for us today. Amen, preacher. If not, why are we reading it? Why are we studying it? Why are we preaching from it? Might as well just stay at home and read a novel, hadn't we? Oh, me. But it applies to us today. The people had turned from God and these prophets cried out to return to God, to repent of your sin, and God will restore your nation. He will restore you. But you know what the people said? We're the chosen people of God. We've got the law. We've got the covenant. We've got the temple. We don't need that. In other words, they didn't need God. They could make it on their own. But you know what happened in just a few short years? Judgment came. And I've said this to you for the last few weeks, that God, I believe, unless the Lord returns, or unless we have revival in this nation, God is bringing His judgment. Oh me. Oh me. And so it is imperative that you and I stand for God. Look at what he says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Isaiah saw the Lord. When will revival come? The first key, when will revival will come is when God becomes personal in your life. When you know him in a personal way. When you have a personal, intimate relationship with him. Now, here's Isaiah the prophet writing, and he's writing about the death of this king that reigned for 52 years, a well-beloved king, and the king dies, and you know what Isaiah does? He goes to the temple. He goes to the house of God, and he goes to seek the face of God. Why? Because he had a personal, intimate relationship with God. And the only thing he knew to do, instead of going and hiding in a cave somewhere or going and hiding in a corner somewhere, was to come to the house of God and seek the face of God that God would intervene with the people of God. Amen? It begins with a personal relationship. He saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. Judah's throne was empty, but guess what? Heaven's throne was still occupied, occupied by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he was sitting on the throne, not just sitting there, but he was high and lifted up, highly exalted. He was exalted above all others. Isaiah saw the heavenly temple that God must become just more than a name that we use or a name that we throw out when we get in trouble or when we need something or want something. He must become a personal God in our life. We must have a personal relationship with Him, and we must see Him for who He is in all His majesty, all His might, all His glory, high 
and lift it up. That is the kind of God we serve. And that is the kind of God that desires to have a personal, intimate relationship with you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that fascinating? Here's the God, the creator of the world, the one true God, and he desires to know me personally. He desires that I know him personally. And he desires the same thing for you. He desires that love relationship with you. So Isaiah had an intimate, personal relationship with God. In John chapter 10, verse 3, it says that my sheep hear my voice and I know them. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows his sheep and he desires that personal, intimate relationship with you. So I just want to ask you a question here. Are you, and don't answer it out loud, of course, but are you as close to God today as you once were? Are you as close to God today as you need to be? Are you as close to God today as He wants you to be? And I want you to think about those things. Because that is when revival will come when God becomes personal in your life and you know Him in that personal, intimate way and your desire, one desire in life is to bring glory and honor to Him. Regardless of what the world throws at you, regardless of what Satan tries to do to bring you down, and he will. You know what? I'm surprised we had not had some big thunderstorm or power outage or or some, something going on here today. Why? Satan doesn't want the church revived. Satan doesn't want you to have that personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he don't mind if you just come to church and you just come in and you sit and you get comfortable and you listen to the preacher yell and scream for an hour or two and, and you go home and nothing's changed in your life. Doesn't bother him a bit. What bothers him it's when you do the bidding of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get that fire in your heart and in your soul to serve God fully and fervently. And when you desire to see Him in all His holiness, all His glory. I, I, I'm going to read my Hebrew translations to you here in these passages. Um, not that it's going to make a lot of difference. But it makes just a few different nuances from what we find here uh, in the King James. Verse 1, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, lofty and exalted, and His robe was filling the temple. Continually filling the temple. The divine presence of God was in the temple, filling that place. And when Uzziah walked in seeking God, you know what he found? He found God. And he found Him in all His holiness. And all his majesty and all his might, he saw the glory of God. Listen, when we come into the house of God, we need to seek the face of God. And when we seek the face of God, you know what will happen? We'll experience the power of God in all his glory, all his might, all his majesty. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to cause you to see yourself as you are. And it's going to cause you to see Him as He is. And when you get that correlation correct, you know what's going to happen? You're either going to reject Him and have that hard, calloused heart, or you're going to fall on your knees before Him and worship and adore Him for who He is. That's the only two options you have when you see Him for who He is. Look what He says in verse 2. I could go on and on and on with that. That's just some... Some powerful stuff right there. To see God in all His glory, in all His majesty, in all His might. And His robe, His train as it's translated here, was filling the temple continually. Look what happens next. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain He covered His face. With twain He covered His feet. And with twain He did fly. The word... Seraphim here is derived from a verb, seraph, which means to burn. 
It's burning ones, those who are on fire for God, on fire to serve Him, on fire to do what God has called them to do. Uh, they've covered their face. This is a sign of reverence. Covering their feet is a sign of uh, modesty. And the, 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 with two they did fly is their readiness to serve, their willingness to serve, to do what God would have them to do. And so above the temple are these burning ones. And they're on fire for God. And it, and it gives a description of them here. Look what takes place in verse 3. One cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy. They're crying out. And the way it's written here in the Hebrew, it's uh, antiphonal singing basically is what they're doing. If you don't know what that word means, look it up. Uh, I had to. No, I'm teasing. I'm going to share it with you. What it, it, you ever sung a song in a round? Well, one group starts and another group starts and another group starts and then this one comes back. That's basically what it means to sing antiphonally. Antiphonally. You have a group singing, holy, 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 echoing, holy, 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 echoing, holy, holy, holy. I did that in a church one time. Divided. I'm not going to do it this morning. Don't get worried. But I divided them up kind of in three different groups. And I got the one group starting. And we just kind of closed our eyes and did that for just a few minutes. I want to tell you, it was an awesome experience. It was an awesome experience. And you could just, if you close your eyes and you just sing, holy, holy, holy. Listen, you can feel the presence of God. If you're serious about it, you're sincere about it, you can feel the presence of God just coming and filling your soul and empowering your heart. So go home today and get in your closet or get in your shower, wherever you do your best singing, and try that. I guarantee you, I don't care what kind of mood you're in when you go in there, you're going to be changed when you come out. Because you're going to feel the presence of God surrounding you and His glory surrounding you and lifting you up and strengthening you and empowering you. And so these burning ones are crying out one to another, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They recognize His holiness. They recognize who He is. The whole earth or the whole land, it's aretz in the Hebrew, the whole land is full of His glory. Amen? The whole earth is full of His glory. The fullness of all the earth is His glory. When Isaiah walked into the temple, he saw the Lord sitting upon His throne, high and lifted up. He heard this singing of these burning ones, echoing the holiness of God. He saw God in His total awesomeness. He saw God in His total glory. He was... Uh, he experienced the total awareness and total presence of God in his life. Why do you think he went to the temple? Did he go to the temple to cry out, Well, God, here we are again. Uh, King's dead. I uh, don't know what we're going to do from here, but I'm going to leave it with you. You go ahead and handle it. And he go out. No, he went to the temple because that was his refuge. That was his strength. And I'm not suggesting here that you have to come here to this place to experience God. Amen? You see, we have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling us as believers. And we have the very presence of God within us. The problem is sometimes we choke Him out with the way we live our life and the way we treat Him. And we treat Him very casually at times uh, and until we get into a deep mess or deep trouble, and then we want to call on Him to bail us out. You know what He's wanting to do for you today? He's wanting to be first place in your life. He's wanting to be on the throne of your heart and on the throne of your life, and He wants you to see Him in all His holiness, all His majesty, all His might, and He wants you to seek Him where you are. Do you realize that driving down the road, you can call upon the name of God? And if you're driving up 95, particularly going through South Carolina, you better be seeking God. 
And no offense to my friends in South Carolina, but there's some crazy people that drive through South Carolina on I-95. I, I know I've been through there a time or two. And I, all them trips I made back to Florida them, them years, I bet there weren't two times I come through there that there was not a wreck somewhere in South Carolina. Now, to give them credit, most of them were out-of-state tags. <laughs> I can't verify that, but that's what, what I'm going with. But... You better be seeking God. And my point is uh, that you can seek God, you can worship God, you can be in His very presence in the, and experience Him totally in your life wherever you are because the Spirit has indwelled you. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you know Him in a personal way. And so the idea here of, of holiness here, He is separate. He is Different. Now we sometimes think that God is way off out there somewhere. And that's what the devil wants you to think. That he's way off out there somewhere and he doesn't want to be bothered with your little trivial problems, the little things going on in your life. Listen, when things go on in your life, they're not trivial to you, are they? You know what? They're not trivial to God either. God cares so much about you that he sent his son to die for you that you could have that personal relationship with Him, that you could know Him in His fullness, you could experience His complete uh, awareness and presence in your life, you could know Him intimately, you could know Him personally, and my Bible tells me that God knows me so well that even He knows how many hairs are on my head. There are too many today. <laughs> Amen over there, sister. But I tell you what, every time I get out of the shower, there's fewer and fewer. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else has that problem, but I do. I almost said something to get me in trouble. I won't do that. I can do enough of that, right? <laughs> but isn't that awesome that a God knows you that intimately that he knows how many hairs are on your head? He knows how many days you have on this earth. And you know what he really desires? Is that you know him personally. That you know him intimately. That you experience the total awareness of God in your life. Look at what it says in verse 4. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. The thresholds trembled from the voice that was calling and the house was filled with smoke. Smoke in the Old Testament is what, what we would call in um, um, academic circles as a theophany. A visible manifestation of God. If you recall uh, Genesis chapter 15, when, I, uh, when Abraham had his vision, what did he see? He saw that flaming torch going through and the smoke. When Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law, what did he see? The people see, they saw the, the cloud, they saw the smoke, they heard the thunder, they heard the lightning. All of these things are uh, visible manifestations of God in, in their life. And so what Isaiah is saying here, I saw the Lord, I saw Him high and lifted up. He saw God in His unlimited holiness. The post of the door, the very thresholds were shaking at the very presence of God. Wouldn't that be an awesome experience you remember Acts chapter 4 when uh, uh, it says that they prayed there, the disciples prayed. It says that the very foundation of the building was shaking from their prayer. Would you like to be in a building like that? Now last Sunday morning, we had an earthquake over on the western side of the state. I didn't feel it at my house. Maybe you felt it at your house. But you would think, and... and that means that I guess we've lived through at least three earthquakes now. We were in Nicaragua when I lived through the first one. I accused my daughter of shaking the bed because I was trying to take a nap. And all of a sudden it started doing that. And uh, I said, Carrie, quit shaking the bed. She says, I'm not. And I looked up and the TV on the walls doing that. And the walls are kind of, I'm like, okay. You know, we lived through that one. Right after our son Aaron got uh, on at the fire department in Greenville, we were up there in the fire station one day visiting him, and all of a sudden the building starts doing that. 
And so that was two, and then Sundays was the third one I, I think I've lived through. Amen. But just think, being in the house of God, in the temple, being in a prayer meeting, and people are so sincere and so concerned about seeking the face of God that the building begins to shake from the very power and presence of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? I tell you, I think what it's going to take in America today for us to be revived, it's going to take God to shake the very foundations of our nation. I mean, we say we're a nation that is under God, one nation under God, but we have drifted away from those spiritual moorings, and I think what it's going to take today is God to intervene and to very, shake the very foundation of our life. And maybe he's trying to wake the church up as someone prayed this morning in our prayer time. Maybe God is using this uh, pandemic to wake us up. Amen? Maybe we need to be woken up, waked up. What's the proper term, Miss Deborah? She's ducking her head, so I know that was wrong. Maybe we need to be awakened. Is that better? <laughs> I got it. Amen. Phew. It's tough teaching, uh, preaching when you got English teachers up here and, and you don't know nothing about the English language. <laughs> yep. I'll be getting some phone calls and some nasty letters this week. Just teasing. No, she doesn't do me that way. And she knows that I'm just messing with her, I hope. <laughs> I hope. Uh, but anyway, wouldn't it be awesome be in the very presence of God and feel that the earth just moving beneath you and you know it's God. Look what happens next. Verses 5 through 7. The second key to revival. When will revival come? Verses 1 through 4. When God becomes personal in your life. Verses 5 through 7. When sin becomes a problem. Oh me. And you see, I think that's why the church has not experienced a great awakening, a great revival. I've never seen it in my lifetime. Maybe you have. I've never seen it in my lifetime. I've read about Jonathan Edwards. I've read about George Whitfield. I've read about all of those famous preachers of days gone by that preached the truth of God's Word and people got saved and the church got revived. Miss Pam played just a few moments ago, Showers of Blessing. Now, I've been in churches and I've been in revival meetings and I've preached revival meetings and we've seen some showers. We've seen some trickles of God's blessing, but we haven't seen the flood. We haven't seen Him pour out His blessing on us in a way that we've never experienced before. Why? Maybe it's because there's some things in our life that we don't want to give over to Him. Oh, me. Maybe there's some things in our life that we want to hold on to. We want God's blessing. We want Him to bless us. We want Him to take us to heaven. But we still want to hold on to some things of the world. Oh, me. I'm going to preach about that next week. Oh, me. We'll see how many of you here. And no, I'm teasing. <laughs> Trying to make mental names in my, my no, I'm just teasing. But look what he says. You see, I said this a moment ago. When you come into the very presence of God and you see him in all his glory, all his majesty, all his might, all his holiness, what does it do? It causes one of two things. It causes you uh, to, to fall on your knees in repentance. And it causes you to want to serve him. Look at what he says here in verse 5. Then said I, woe is me. Woe is me for I am undone or cut off as the Hebrew would say. Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Listen, when you see Him in all His glory, in all His might, you're going to see the awfulness of your sin. You will. There's no getting around it. God is not going to tolerate sin. And He's not going to allow sin in His heaven. Well, then how do we get there? <laughs> Hang on. There's good news. Amen? There's good news. So having met the Holy One and seeing Him face to face, 
Isaiah was at once convicted of his sin. <coughs> he was at once met with the problem of his personal sin. He says, I am undone. That is to be cut off, to be cut down, or to be destroyed. Isaiah realized the depth of his sin when he came into the presence of the Holy One. When he saw him in all of his glory, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. And then he says, not only me, but I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Listen, there's a world out there, a world of people out there that are dying and going to hell. Why? Because the church has sat idle for so many years. You see, I think one of the problems in the church today, and I'm speaking in general terms here, uh, and maybe it's applicable here as well, we have become content to just come and sing some songs, although we're not singing right now. Hopefully we'll start that back pretty soon. I miss it. I think you do too. Uh, so we'll kind of check on that, and the next deacon's meeting we'll discuss that again. Uh, but we want you to be safe, uh, right, uh, there. But we, are we just content to come together and to sing a few songs, to say a few prayers, to hear the preacher preach the Word of God? And say, well, I've done God my favor for the week. And we go out the door. Nothing's changed in our life. You see, you didn't worship Him. You came to a meeting. And if the church gets content with that, it gets complacent. And when the church gets complacent, you know what it does? It's just going through the motions. It becomes... A social club. Oh, me? And, and there's nothing wrong, and I, I know there's restrictions today, and we try to ask you to kind of social distance as you're here in this place, but there's nothing wrong with good fellowship and good socialization with the brothers and sisters in Christ. Nothing wrong with that. So don't, don't mishear what I'm saying today. There's nothing wrong with good fellowship. In fact, it is one of the keys to a healthy church that the believers fellowship among themselves, not just Sunday morning, but throughout the week as well. But if that is the main objective for your presence here today, then you've got a problem. You have not met the Holy One in His awesomeness and in His majesty and in His might and in His glory. Because when you do, you're going to see your awfulness. And it's going to drive you just like it did Isaiah here to cry out to the Holy One, the King of kings, the Lord of hosts, Woe is me! I am a sinner! And I need your forgiveness. Listen, when you realize the depth of your sin and you cry out to God, and you confess your sins. What does our Bible tell us? He is faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it comes from a sincere heart that is seeking Him. And seeking His forgiveness. Look what happened to Isaiah verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me. Having a live coal or a burning coal. In his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Now here's where it gets sort of difficult. Because this is what God thinks of sin. He brought a burning coal with one of the tongs from off the altar. And look what it says in verse 7. He laid it upon my mouth. Do you think that felt good? Now, there's some debate. Is this literal? Is it figurative? Uh, either way, the meaning is the same. God deals with sin severely. And God judges sin severely. 
And he says, he laid it on my mouth. Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away. Thy sin is purged, or your sin is atoned for. Now, I could not help and cannot help think of, when I read this passage, how God deals here with the sin of Isaiah, how God dealt with our sin, and how his son went to the cross and was pierced and broken and bleeding beaten, uh, crown of thorns on his head, all of those things that he went through uh, and died on that cross for your sin and for my sin. Listen, to eradicate sin, it causes pain. It causes some suffering. And there may be some things in your life that is hindering God from having a free reign in your life today. And God is wanting to eradicate that sin. He's wanting to remove that from your life. But you know what he's waiting on? He's waiting on you to get serious with him. Not just to come down here and shake the preacher's hand and and say, you know, preacher, pray for me today. I've committed a sin. He wants you to get serious about that sin. Listen, you know how God views sin? He views it as sin. We want to classify it, don't we? Well, if I just tell a little lie here, or I cheat a little bit there, or, well, I kind of thought some bad things about this person or that person. That's not so bad. God got to get over that. And we, we think our sin is not that bad, right? Our sin is never as bad as our neighbor's, right? I mean, that's our attitude a lot of times, isn't it? You know, what I'm doing uh, is not that bad. Look at what so-and-so's doing. That's what I said at the beginning. We want to look at men, We need to be looking at God. And we want to classify sin. Well, if if you've committed one of the the big ten that we find in Exodus chapter 20, that's bad. Yeah, you need to deal with that. But you know what? You need to deal with all those other things too. Because when God looks down, He sees it as sin. And He doesn't classify them. It's sin. It's sin. And he has dealt with it very, I I can't think of the word, very uh, seriously, I guess is a good word. Severely is probably a better word. Because he sent his one and only son. God in the flesh who tabernacled, dwelt among us, came to die. To suffer, to die on a cross. And you know what he said? And I've used this many, many times. The Garden of Gethsemane, but right before his crucifixion. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup, this cup of suffering. He knew what was coming. If there's any other way, let it pass from me. But nevertheless, now this is how much he loves you. Nevertheless, not my will. But thy will be done. And he went to the cross. And you say, well, he was 100% divine. He didn't feel the pain like you and I feel. Yes, he did. He is 100% divine. He is God. But he's also 100% human. And he had flesh. Just like you and I. And believe me, when they drove those spikes through his hands and his feet, he felt them. He felt them. But you know what he did? He hung there. And he shed his blood. And he cried out, Father, forgive them. That just blows me away. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the one thief that said, Lord, remember me today when you enter into your kingdom. And you know what Jesus said? Today, you will be with me in paradise. That is the kind of God we serve. Here's that thief on the cross that had done wrong and committed crimes and committed sins and never confessed his sins until he met Jesus. And he cried out, remember me. And the promise of Jesus said, today, You will be with me. 
He didn't say, well, you've done all these things and start naming all of his sins and saying, you know, it's kind of late right now for you to be coming to me with this. Um, I, I can't help you at this point. No. That's the grace and mercy of God. You know, I've been doing a lot of study on the Apostle Paul. Getting ready to teach a course on Pauline theology. And I'm just blown away when I read in Acts chapter 9. And I read some of those chapters about Paul's pre-conversion. And just what kind of man he was. And how he was persecuting the church and putting God's people to death. And he's on his way to Damascus to either kill them. And it says women and children included. Either kill them or put them in prison for being Christians. And you know what happened to him? He met Jesus. Now Jesus can take a man like Saul, if you will. A man who had tried to eradicate the church and do away with Christians and do away with the things of God. And he met Jesus on the Damascus road and he cried out, Lord, what will you have me to do? And God, Jesus Christ, radically transformed his life and changed him. A man who wrote 13 of our New Testament books and said that my righteousness is as filthy rags compared to Jesus Christ. And so you think your sin is okay? Start reading the Bible. Start reading Paul's epistles. Read the book of John. Read what Christ has done for you, a sinner. Deserving of death, hell, and the grave. And how he eradicated your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that ought to make a good Baptist want to shout. Amen? It should. Because that is what God has done for us. Isaiah experienced that in the atoning, the purging of his sin through the live coal, the burning coal. And so God is going to deal with sin. I advise you to deal with your sin today. Because if you stand before Him without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, and you stand in your own sin, and in your own goodness, and in your own merit, you know what you're going to find? He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. But, but, but Lord, don't you, don't you remember all those times I went to church? Don't you remember all those times I, I sang those hymns? All those times I bowed my head when they were praying? All those things? You've got to know Him personally. And you've got to have your sin purged. Thirdly, revival will come when service becomes a privilege. Oh me, you see how it follows? You meet God. You confess your sins. He cleanses you of your sins. Then what? You serve Him. Oh me, don't turn me off. Don't turn me out. Because if you're not serving Him in the area that He has gifted you to serve Him, you know what you're doing? You're violating His will in your life. You're not fulfilling God's plan and purpose for your life. Now, I might should have preached this one a month or so ago when the nominating committee was starting to meet, right? And by the way, I think we still have a few positions available. So it's not too late. Amen? Look at what Isaiah says. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? It appears that he's talking here to that heavenly host, those burning ones that are doing his bidding, doing his service. Who will I send and who will go for us? Notice what Isaiah says. Well, God, if you can't find anybody else to do it, I'll go. That's not, that's not my translation. I didn't look at this sheet. Turn that sheet over. That's not what the Bible says, is it? 
You know what he said? Here I am. Here. Send me. Send me. He did not ask what is the nature of the mission. He did not ask how far will I have to go, how long will I have to do this. What's it going to cost me? How much time am I going to have to put into it? And here's, here's the classic. Well, if you can't find anybody else, I'll do it. No, you won't. You might start it, but you won't finish it. And even if you do finish it, you'll finish it with a grudge. And you'll finish it with bitterness. Why? Because that is not where God has gifted you. If it is where God has gifted you, you know what you're going to say? Here I am. Now, I played a lot of sports growing up. I coached a lot of sports as I got too old to play. And I'll tell you what, as a player and as a coach, particularly basketball, and some of you are familiar with that, you know how it is. If you're on the team, you're playing on the team, and you're sitting on the bench, and the five guys or gals, whatever it is, I played with guys um, you know, when I was coming up. Uh, but anyway, uh, you're sitting there, and every time that coach would turn, like he's looking for a substitute, what do you do? Kind of lean a little forward, don't you? Kind of move a little bit. Like, here I am, coach. Here I am. When I was coaching, it was the same way. Every time I looked down the bench, them guys start moving around and start looking at me and start smiling and like, you know, can I go in, coach? Why? They were anxious to get in the game. They wanted to play the game. That's what they practiced for. That's what they trained for. And they want to get in the game. You know what the problem is in the church? We have too many sitting on the sidelines. Too many sitting on the bench. And they don't want to get in the game. You know what some of them's attitude is? Well, I've already played my game. I've already done my time. That's what some, some folks look at it as. I've done my time. It's time for somebody else to step up. When do you retire from the service of God? Hmm, oh me. When? I find that God called Moses when he was 40 years old. And God, or Moses kind of, went to doing his own thing for another 40 years. And he was 80 years old when God led him to Egypt to lead the people out. Abraham was 75 years old when God called him. To be a blessing to the nations. And all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. When do you get to retire in the service of God? When he calls you home. When you take that last breath. You are officially retired. In the kingdom of God. Because when you get up there, you know what you're going to do? You're going to praise and worship Him. But in the meantime, while you're here, you know what you need to do? You need to praise and worship Him, but you need to serve Him. And what I find fascinating, every church I've ever been involved in, pastoring or serving on a staff, you know what I found? God brings together a community of believers that are gifted in many, many ways. We all have a, a gift. We have, some have more than one gift. And they're all not the same, are they? Now, we have a few people that are gifted in teaching. A few that are gifted in playing instruments. We have some that can do other things. We have some, some prayer warriors in this church. And if not, for all of that different administration of gifts coming together under the one head... Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 or Colossians 1 18 the one head Jesus being the head of the church coming together seeking him and serving him the church would not go forward here's a question I asked many many years ago when I preached this message I may have asked you sometime or another here in, in a few years ago and you've heard this before I think there's a song by this title now that I think about it but what kind of church would my church be if every member was just like me? Hmm, think about that. What kind of church would it be if every member was just like you? 
Would it bring glory to God? Would it bring praise to Him? Would the work of the kingdom go forward? You see, that's what we're to do. Yes, it's nice to come in here and have a cool building and a, and a nice padded pew to sit on and, and, and to hear the Word. But it's got to go beyond these four walls. It's got to go beyond these four walls. And God has gifted you and God has placed you strategically so that you can use your giftedness where He has placed you to bring glory and honor to Him. And so here's my question. Do you know your gift? Do you know what God has called you to do? Do you know why God has placed you where He's placed you? You see, God doesn't make mistakes. Although several years ago, I, I argued with Him for a couple of years about what I perceived to be a mistake. You know, because I told you this a few weeks ago, I, I'm, I'm a pretty much an introvert. Oh, me. Can't tell it today. But when I first felt the call to ministry, you know, and, and I always had in the back of my mind, I'd go some, you know, some seminary or school somewhere, and I'd be a music minister, either in the public school or in a church. Church was kind of what I thought. And so I've studied some music. But God called me and led me in another direction. And when he did that, it scared the daylights out of me. And I knew for about two years the direction he was trying to get me to go to, but I'm still over here. Because there were things in my life that I did not want to give over to him. And I was, as I've said before, I was one of those Burger King Christians. I wanted to do it my way. Well, God, I just don't think I can preach. Now, I'll, go, I'll, I'll, go play, I'll, I'll stay right here at this church, my home church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, Five Points Baptist, and I'll play the piano for the rest of my life. That should, that should be sufficient, right? Well, no. <laughs> and God kept tugging and God kept leading. and not that. God made my life literally miserable. Until I finally said, okay, God, I'm yours. I know what you've called me to do, and now I'm going to do it. Because I can't do anything else and be happy. You see, that's how God gifts you and God uses you. And if you're not doing what God has called you to do, you're not walking in the center of God's will, you are a miserable person. You can come in here and you can put on the smiles and you can do all of that. Uh, and like I said, you can sing the songs and you can say all the prayers and you can do all those things and go through the motions, but you know deep down there's something missing. There's still that hole. You haven't lost your salvation. Don't get me wrong. If you're saved, you're saved. But you have not allowed the Creator of the heaven and earth to sit on the throne of your heart. You still want to dictate what you will do to serve Him. And if that's your attitude this morning, it's my prayer that you will be the one that will sit on the edge of the bench and say, Here I am, God. Send me. No questions asked. You know what? You're not going to find that thing that's going to fill that hole in your life until you do. How did I know that? Oh, I just told you. I lived it for two years with a big hole in my heart because I was not where God wanted me to be. Oh, I was in church every Sunday. I taught Sunday school. I was a deacon. I did all those things. And God, look at what all I'm doing. He said, stop doing. Start being. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we've had to come and share your word this morning. We thank you for these that have uh, come today, these that have listened, these that have uh, watched on Facebook. And Father, we pray that today that you would take this message. Father, you would help us to each examine our heart, examine our life. 
Father, that we would first of all seek you. Seek you in all your holiness. And we would cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And experience your awesome presence in our life. Father, may that drive us to uh, repent of our sin. And Father, to commit our life to serve you. Father, I pray today that you would take these words, use them for your honor and your glory. We ask it in the sweet and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his sake. Amen.